coming up on the naughtiest naughty. Well, at the start of every word, she goes, <laughs> I think I did. Yeah. Scott's series winner is still Destiny's Child. Say my name. And Liam has garage all over the place with Craig David Filmian as his series winner. But will it change today? See, it's funny, last week, my choice was between Garage and Garage, and I've already chosen Garage with Artful Dodger this series. Maybe I'm just turning really cool suddenly. It's <laughs> taken 24 years, but maybe it's finally happening, Scott. Maybe it's fi- maybe I'm finally becoming a real man. <laughs> maybe you'd have been cool had you been born 10 years earlier than what you were, perhaps maybe 15 years earlier. I think very possibly. I think everything I've done so far has just been so cool. But I think it talks about the time we've had so far, because 2000, to me, has been like iconic. This is like this whole thing, right? So if you are young, so say that you're like 18 years old, you're picking up this this podcast for the first time and you want to know what 2000 was like. You know, what we know so far is it was pretty garage heavy and yeah. it was heading towards dance music. And that's the point. You know, people can tell you what it was like back in the day, which is like just going out to the pub with me. But this podcast's letting you have a bit of an experience of it and also to make up your own mind because we're not gods. Like what we say isn't solid. I'm <laughs> talking about experiences, but you know, what I don't want this to end up being, you know, when you watch the like, those like the best songs of the 90s and it's like six really, really shit reject TV stars that are saying, well, actually, mm. in this day, like, I want us to be slightly better than that without any celebrity. I think we can do can that. We do yeah. that? that would yeah. be really good. I think so. I think so, yeah. So, last week on the show, we spoke about Thong Song. Yeah. Which... I have not been able to get out of my head at all. Wow. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. I've just got butts on the brain. What can I say? <laughs> um, I did a bit of digging because I realised that Thong Song is such an iconic, legendary song that somebody must have taken it on for a sample or a cover of some kind. So somebody on the Facebook page called Danny, he commented saying that Panic at the Disco combined with Cisco to perform Thong Song on Jimmy Kimmel Live. What? I know. Um, here's a little clip of Panic at the Cisco. That should win some sort of like actual award for name of the century, shouldn't it? it? Just, Panic yeah. at the Cisco. That's, that is so good. That is so good. Well done to everybody involved in that. What have we got coming up today? Coming up on the show today, we have got the second album cycle beginning of Britney Spears and S Club 7. We've also got the return of Dr. Dre. He's got a prodigy this time in the form of Eminem. We've got some metal. We've also got a really cool funky track and some Kevin and Perry. Oh, so much to pack in today. So much. So we're starting with a track that pretty much brings like funk to the mainstream way ahead of the mid noughties funky house movement. And um, we've kind of got a bit of a history of samples with this one. So in 1981... Pino D'Angelo did this track. Which in itself is a sample of this track by McFadden and Whitehead. But the 2000 version claims to be a sample of what Pino D'Angelo did. This week, we are starting with Madison Avenue, Don't Call Me Baby. It really is like no surprise at all that this track is cool as fuck because the lineage it comes from, like those two tracks feeding into this, 
My words. This was so cool at the time. I remember this just being like a really sunny, warm, happy memory song for me. And it was mm. just like getting, I think because it was 2000, I'll have done my GCSEs. And do you know, whenever it's GCSE year or A-levels year, you stop going to school earlier because you've got to stay at home and study and things like that. So my, my summer started earlier and this was one of these tracks that was around at the time too. But um, the weird thing though, do you not think that Pino D'Angelo one sounds like a bit like a track from uh, a blue movie and I'm not talking about like a 90 minute depiction of the blue lads flyby <laughs> fame it sounds a bit <laughs> porno-y doesn't it it's got those porno funky vibes it does have that kind of like boom 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 sausage yeah it's a bit weird isn't it I love this right yeah. this for me is them doing it for Australia it got to number one um, um, at this point, I think we were really, you know, so used to American tracks actually coming in. So this makes things just really, really different at this point. Um, so this is quite exciting for me to have some Australian stuff coming through. And, you know, at this point, Australians weren't really renowned for being dance music connoisseurs, but mm. lots of attitude in the track, big dance track, great feminist track. But thinking back to like, if you think Australian wise, the reason why this was so significant too. Can you think off the top of your head of any Australian artists that had been number one before this track? I want to say Men at Work with Down Under, just because <laughs> it fits the stereotype very well. I'm not sure if that was number one or not, but it's the first Australian track that comes to mind. Is it? So what you've got is the one before this, which was actually quite close, was Bad- Baz Luhrmann's Sunscreen, which I didn't realise was Australian. Oh, yeah. yeah but yeah, before yeah. that, in 1986, you had Peter Andre, and in 1986, you had Gina G. And then before mm. that, you didn't have any other Australian number ones apart from like Jason and Kylie in the late 80s into the early 90s. So to have an actual Australian number one at this point is a massive big deal. And for it to be a dance track heading towards the summer just makes things pretty slick and class. So Mm. this is a big, big, funky, ahead of its time house track. It's a big female empowerment track. We've had quite a few of those so far this series. This one has got real attitude. Do you find her a bit frightening? Do you find her a bit like... Ooh, I wouldn't want to get too close to her just in case she entrapped me for some reason. I feel like she could she she could incriminate me of crimes I hadn't done. Yeah, that's kind of the exciting bit of it, isn't it? Really, when it, with this track, but she is gripping, I think, really, and I think like she just has me completely intrigued mm. and a bit riveted. I wanted to like stick with everything that she was saying when I was listening to this track, but this is just a hot track. It just makes you feel warm. It makes you feel summery. It makes you want to kind of go on a holiday. But at the same time, you know, it's not as, it's not as consuming as a bye, 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 or a fill me in or anything like that. You know, it's still got the story. You learn the words. It's not too, it's not too political. No. But it's still a great pop song that crosses over. And I think that's something that's really, really lucky about it is it doesn't do your head in and you can enjoy it each and Mm. every time. Can we talk about the video? Because yeah. I think this is probably the sexiest video, <laughs> which is fully clothed the whole way through. The way it's lit, it's got those like dark shadows in the background, but it's kind of really brightly lit in the in the foreground. Uh-huh. So you're getting to see all the detail of the face and this kind of an enigmatic mystery behind her in most of the shots. A lot of like cuddling on sofas, a lot of like body to body contact. Um, it's all kind of it uses that slow motion technique of like everything's uh, being said at regular speed, but everything's actions are slow motion, which is always very cool always really straight faced and a lot of hip slash bum choreography if you get what i mean it's all very gyrating and all very kind of sensually performed um and my favorite line of the entire thing maybe of anything ever uh, i can't believe this isn't used more in day-to-day life it's just a good insult don't and don't underestimate me boy i'll make you sorry you were born Oh, <laughs> that burns. That is a good, Ooh. that is quite a good insult as well. Like for you, is this a contender, do you think? It's a really good one. It very well could be, yeah. It very well could be. What's What's interesting is that there was a song came out last year uh, called Don't Call Me Angel that was done by Miley Cyrus, Ariana Grande and Lana Del Rey for the Charlie's Angel soundtrack. And everyone really hated on it and kind of for good reason because the whole song was a bit of a mess. But if you put that next to Madison Avenue, the simplicity of this compared to the kind of overall mess that that was, I think we're due another track like this that strips it really back, mm-hmm. has that same message of, we're women, you're fucking stupid, we're going to kick your ass. Um Madison Avenue is kind of an iconic track for that sort of vibe. What's interesting also is that Emma Bunton did a cover of this last year. Did you hear this? No, it didn't. Don't call me, baby. You've got 
I mean, it sounds totally, totally shit. Like it's a pile of arse. That's insane. Um, That's really can, weird. I, I think this, it's a song. That you, it's a song that you can't take on. Mm-hmm. I think this is the only way to do a song like this. I'm very impressed. I'm very aroused, and uh, I'm very, very sure it's going to be a contender this week. You keep yourself calm in that cupboard that you've locked yourself into to record this too. <laughs> I really like it. I think it's a big contender. Happy, happy song for me. Um, yeah, just generally love, 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 love this one. Great start. So last week we mentioned that legendary film, Kevin and Perry Go Large, and this week it turned 20 years old. Scott, how old do you feel? I feel really ancient and actually doing the prep for this week's episode has made me feel really old and in places I've got a bit teary. It's a bit strange, but yeah, I do feel really old and the fact that that's turned 20 doesn't make any sense to me because I still feel like... I'm of that era. It's a bit like, you know, some people still think the 80s was 20 years ago. Yeah. I feel like the Kevin and Perry era was maybe three or four years ago. It's com- it's confusing. Mm. It's, it is confusing for me. But we did mention the fact that you'd never seen Pitch Perfect or Kevin and Perry go large last week. Has anything changed? I haven't seen Pitch Perfect yet, no. But I have now seen Kevin and Perry go large. Oh, you've watched it? I've watched it on Saturday night. I was sat bored, bored out my mind, and I thought, you know what will be the perfect thing to watch now to bust me out of this boredom? I'll have an Easter egg, and I'll watch Kevin and Perry. And you know what? Kevin and Perry wasn't even the most sickening thing of that Saturday night. I had a Hershey's Easter egg, and it was the most disgusting. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you know this. It was one of the most disgusting things I've ever eaten. Not even the spot-squeezing scene or the waxing of that scene could make me more sick than that fucking Easter egg. But anyway, interrogate me. I want to I I know what you... Do you think I'm going to hate it? Do you think I'm going to really take against it? I feel nervous because it's one of those things where, you know, when you overhype something and then somebody watches it and then you're nervous. Um, I think that you... I don't know because, you know, you hate shit spoof comedy, but I think that actually what you might do is, as a a film buff, you might actually respect what Harry Enfield and Kathy Burke do. So I'm going to say you liked it, but you particularly, the same as everybody, really like the soundtrack. <laughs> well, you, you, you've made a good point there. I do hate shit spoof, but I didn't find this to be shit spoof. I found it to be actually quite deceptively clever. Yes! There's actually there's actually some quite good writing in it, and the fact it's Kathy Burke and Harry Enfield, mm-hmm. who are, you know, two com- comedy legends. Last week we said they were dead ancient. Um, they were only in their mid-30s. Mm, okay. But I, I guess compared to the characters that they were playing, you know, being teenagers, there is quite a big difference there. Yeah. Now, in the first few weeks of this show, I chose Adagio for Strings as one of my winners uh-huh it comes back in this and it soundtracks uh kevin and perry being puked on in amnesia uh-huh. <laughs> so that's that's changed the way i look at that track forever yeah um, <laughs> i absolutely love the line when they're in the shop applying for the job and uh, the shopkeeper says where do you find punk <laughs> and perry says my sheets <laughs> That's a great line. I think one of my favourites is, can I have a jam sandwich, please? Uh, And Mrs. Patterson, cheeky girl. Oh, love it, love it, love it. But (laughs) 20 years ago, because Kevin and Perry launched, the charts were about to change because of that soundtrack. And we actually Mm. got some banging dance tracks in our top 10. One that went in at number nine, which was this from Southside Spinners, Love Struck. Things like this just don't get into the top 10 now, do they? Nah, nah. I've got one word to summarise this track. Large. It's got to be large. (laughs) I love that that's your choice. But this is just... This track was so hypnotising, right? It's just so, so good. I think if you really really put on headphones and you've got good headphones and you listen to it, it, it's hypnotising because of the, the, like, subtle panning of the track from ear to ear. The track itself was released in 1998 and got to number 85. And then because of Kevin and Perry... Two years later, it got brought back out. And do you know how I know that this track is good? Because this is exactly what my dad would call noise 
which means it's good. <laughs> yeah, actual noise is very different, but I can get where he's coming from. Um, I've not got much to say about this, except from it stays in my mind because of Kevin and Perry now, so thanks for that. Um, so I had a look at the YouTube comments, and there's some really good ones. There's one that says, um, this is porn music. <laughs> I guess that's, that's, a, that's a big compliment, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, one that says, this was played at my mate's funeral. Oh, oh. That's, some way to, that's some way to go, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this one that says, OMFG, what's happening tonight? I'm finding all these epic old school tunes from Chewing My Face Up, stopping to back in the day. Oh, that's, that's the whole vibe, isn't it? People will be transported back to being in amnesia this sort of time. Like he says, chewing his face off and just loving life. It was just an Abitha anthem. Like this track connected with so many people. And it was it was just one of the big pumping ones from it too. And mm. I think whenever you listen to the Kevin and Perry soundtrack, I think, you know, everybody expects it to be just like raggy dance music. But it isn't actually that. Whenever you look through what's in there, some of the stuff that's on that track list is really, really smart, really, really cool. Even the fact that you know the mum and dad sing Oasis in the film is great but yeah, I think, you know, yeah this doesn't make sense if you've not seen the film right if you haven't seen the film go out of your way to watch Kevin and Perry go large look for the art of it um, and just you know let it connect with you it's just such a significant song from it and you know what's good my mate Ethan who used to do a drive time show used to start his drive time show every day with this track because ah. it was so big and it connected with so many people and it just got people started. It was just pumping. Number nine, Southside Spinner's Love Struck. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Just to go back to Kevin and Perry for one for one more minute. Um, would you say that that's seminal for your generation, like in between his movie is for mine? I got that sort of feeling like it's an important thing for the youth culture of that time. Absolutely. Kevin and Perry Goulard made me go to the cinema to see the Inbetweener film because I thought the Inbetweeners film was going to be the second to it. And then what broke my heart about the Inbetweeners film was the sound was clearly patched in after the film had been recorded and there was no reference to music. And it was a holiday film that they waited to the very last minute to just chuck in. We speak near Americano and stuff and they they were obviously not dancing to anything of that BPM when they were doing the stupid dancing scene. But mm. it broke my heart because I was expecting a Calvin to be in the in-betweeners and I remember being really disappointed just with everything music-wise around it but it is and it is yeah Mm -hmm. it really is a similar thing but Kevin and Perry kind of earned this extra legendary status just simply because of what Judge Jules and the crew did music-wise and the really smart writing from Harry Anfield I'm glad I've seen it now it's a thing ticked off the list and next week I will have seen Pitch Perfect. I'm watching it this week. (laughs) All because of the thong song. Yeah, thanks, Cisco. We'll stay with perverts and go from Cisco into Tom Jones. This is his track with Moose T. It's called Sex Bomb. Sex Bomb, Sex Bomb. You're a sex bomb. You can give it to me when I need to come along. Give me Sex Bomb, Sex Bomb. You're my Sex Bomb. And baby, you can turn me on. This is my first introduce of the show Mm. uh, because this Peppermint version is the one that made the song famous. So there's an album version of it, but the Peppermint dance one got to number three and it was a disco mix and it was just absolutely huge. It just Mm. makes you just love Tom Jones even more than what you already did. This was from the Reload album that we spoke about before because of the Stereophonics track. See, Megan? Tom Jones mm-hmm. is back and I'd say this one's more of a contender than uh, the Mama Told Me Not To Come was but hey ho um, this was Tom Jones first number one album in 30 years wow. not since Delilah in 1968 Tom Jones had a number one album that kind of shows wow, how wow, wow. important this album was um, this track Sex Bomb was actually a last minute addition to the album this nearly didn't make it can oh. you imagine can you imagine a world without Sex Bomb by Tom Jones my life wouldn't be right because this is actually my karaoke track mm. And I remember going to my brother's wedding in Barbados. And, you know, because it's like a, it's a wedding where everybody travels, people from different areas arrive on different days. Mm. One couple uh, arrived and then came the next day and met us out for drinks and they were completely knackered. And we said, when did you get here? And they said, oh, we got there late yesterday evening, uh, but we couldn't sleep for some idiot squealing out sex bomb at the karaoke bar across the road from our hotel. <laughs> Whoops, that was me. Um, so big shout to the St. Lawrence Gap crew. But for me... Mm-hmm. I think that Sex Bomb is better than Mama Told Me. Yeah. It's rude. It's naughty. Very rude. It brings out Tom's risque side, which is really, really nice. And do you know what it is? It's a song that would make you want a night with Tom Jones if you didn't want a night with Tom Jones before. 
Yeah, I was going to say transitional. Many have had nights with Tom Jones. I was reading about his uh, sexual exploits, and he's lived quite a life. He? He's had several children. He's had several affairs. But um, that's oh. that, that's just the life of a of a rock and roll star, I suppose. This was released in the same year that Tom got an OBE. Oh, congratulations, so you, Tom! One minute with the Queen. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go in. This bomb's made for loving, and you can shoot it far. Mm-hmm. That is the strangest year. Other lyrics include. Uh, I'm not going to sing them because uh, I'm just not going to scar anybody like that. Uh, Aim gonna fire, shoot me right. This bomb's made for loving, and you can shoot it far. Make me explode. <laughs> Any song about sex that has the word explode is immediately gross. And the route to go to sex me slow. Ooh. I miss it all. I miss it all. I remember driving along Linen Hall Street in Limavady, where I'm from, and then coming up to a set of traffic lights. It was a one way system where I was pulling up to outside of Super Value, being in the left hand lane. <laughs> it was a sunny day. I was in my Vauxhall Nova, and I had my CDs blasting out, and my windows were down. And just as I was pulling up, to the traffic lights with my window down and a car being on my right with its windows down the the intro of the song just came on and I can just remember having one hand on the steering wheel nodding my head and slowly just looking around to the right and nodding to the people in the car beside yeah. me and then just turning back around the lights turned green and then away I went around the corner onto Catherine Street <laughs> good times very good well times well done Limavati 2002 yeah. <laughs> Such a jam, such a jam. But the bridge is amazing. His key change is amazing. It's a really good sample of Sister Sledge, All American Girls. I think everything about it, great, great, great pop song. Mm. And, you know, we joked weeks ago about Tom Jones being the overall winner, but, you know, talking about it now, could be. No, it very well could be. Mm -hmm. Do you think Tom Jones is the only 60-year-old who could get away with this? I mean, admittedly, it is quite gross, but he Mm. plays it off Um, quite well. He actually carries it pretty well. Do you know what? It's not actually... It's still quite respectful in the way that he says things in the song. So not going to do you no harm, you know, this 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 bombs for loving and stuff like that. So he's he's not going full blown S&M. He's not going <laughs> uber kinky. He's showing that he's got a bit of a wild side. You know, it, it's probably going to be one of the more reserved songs about sex that we're, we're going to cover, you know, in the next nine years on this podcast, really. Yeah. Do you think we could petition Tom to make a song that is about SNM before he pops his clogs? He probably just needs to collaborate with Rihanna if he hasn't done it already. Chains and Whips might have excited him as well. Oh dear. I love it. Yeah, I think I love it as well. I think uh, despite all the sort of like the, the way he puts certain inflections on words that make them sound even more like, uh, it, it's, it's yeah, I, I still yeah. kind of like it. Yeah, I, I respect yeah. Tom Jones a lot. He's, he's always been a favourite of mine just because he's so badass. So badass. This changed Tom for me at the time, and I can remember thinking that Tom was for your mother, and then Stereophonics confused me, and I thought it was brilliant. And then this was like, hold on a second, Tom Jones is for all generations. This guy owns it, and you know, it was a bit like Madonna. You know, really, when I was young, Madonna should have been seen as a, a pop star for old people, and then all of a sudden she's hung up and in leotards and just re rebirthing herself. Really good stuff. Well done, Tom Jones. So we've reached a really crucial point because a few weeks ago we did Britney Spears and Born to Make You Happy, which was at the end of her first album cycle. Now, the way pop music works is that nobody sleeps for too long and album cycle two has arrived. Literally, it's been maybe two, three months since that track came out in January or February 2000. Here we are. The album's called Oops, I Did It Again. This is the title track, the legendary Oops, I Did It Again, Britney Spears. Do you know how I know that that's legendary? Go on. Uh, Latrell and White Chicks quotes it and goes, Oop, I did it again. So you know that that is here to stay pretty much forever. Right, I know you've said watch Pitch Perfect. You've said watch Kevin and Perry, but I'd draw the line at White Chicks. I'll do as much homework as you want, but not White Chicks. <laughs> I didn't actually ask you to watch Pitch Perfect. You suggested it. I just said that that's how we know that it's cemented. But I do think that you should like watch Pitch Perfect generally because I do think you'll get it and it's Pitch Perfect 2 that you need to watch for Thong Song by the way but um, yeah no 
You're not going to do white chicks then? Nope. Crap. A thousand percent no. I've seen enough. Okay, right. That's fine. So this is quite a nice interesting track for Britney at this point because with Born to Make You Happy, we did say we were a bit worried that it was very much a female succumbing to a man. Whereas now we've got a female viewing Love as a Game and toying with the guy's mm. emotions, which is a bit sadistic, but... A great, great, great approach for a lead single and a nice change for Britney, really. Now, what I found interesting is that a lot of critics at the time were saying, how different is it really to your last album cycle? Um, And I watched a thing a little while ago, Taylor Swift's Netflix documentary, and she talks about... You know the, the role of a female pop star to constantly be reinventing. Otherwise, you know you get accused of saying the same and being stale. And there's plenty more pop stars, especially in this era, who are queuing up to sort of take your place. You've got to keep reinventing, got to keep changing. And Britney was kind of accused with this one in terms of sound, anyway. Maybe thematically not so much, but in terms of sound, she kind of stayed quite similar. But to me, what I found really crucial is that Britney in the video is wearing a big red PVC suit, and she has that line. I'm not that innocent. And that to me is like a big middle finger to those who say she's just staying stagnant and doing the same thing. This is a bit of a reinvention that's kind of subtle and in the background, but very much, very much there. My memories of this at the time are actually people being really complimentary that were the music critics. And mm-hmm. maybe maybe it was a bit of an underlying diss, but people were saying that this one was equally as big as Baby One More Time. And it was a real big compliment to say that, hold on a second you could have launched your career with this track as well because yeah. not many people can do that, you know, really. In fact, I think Cheryl could have done that. You know, had Cheryl done Call My Name as her first track, it probably wasn't really relevant to her personal circumstances at the time, which is mm. why Fight for This Love did so well. But, you know, Cheryl could have done a Call My Name and that could have changed everything. But there's not many people that get the second track as well you know, the second album lead track as well as the the debut single. But I think she's done really well. But yeah, that red jumpsuit on Mars was pretty iconic at the time. And there was a dance routine in it, which was quite interesting because, you know, they fizzled over time and dance routines became lame, but they were really important to getting people to connect with your track, especially in an age where, you know, there wasn't really an internet. Um, it has a load of, uh, a load of attitude to it. It's pretty mm. fierce for her. And I know all the words, I yeah, don't me have too. the big attachment to it that I thought I would do when I listened to it. So I know the words don't have the Marie Kondo doesn't make you sparkle vibe. And I think <laughs> that it loses its points for me when we get to the Titanic bit, because I think maybe I'm just a bit too uptight. I hated that part. And I know it's supposed to be <laughs> funny and spoofing things, but my mind was closed to that in the year 2000. It really was. Before you go, there's something I want you to have. Oh, it's beautiful. But wait a minute, isn't this? Yeah, yes it is. But I thought the old lady dropped it into the ocean in the air. Well, baby, I went down and got it for you. Oh, you shouldn't have. I, 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 I don't know how it makes me feel. I don't feel like good or bad about it. It's just a weird thing that happens that leads into the key change, if you get what I mean. It's just a thing that exists mm-hmm. as a transportation method to, to move it forward. Um, a quote that I read that you may have seen as well from a critic called David Brown in Entertainment Weekly from uh, the year 2000 when this came out. He says that this song amounts to nothing as much as a jailbait manifesto. <sighs> Yikes. Which is a bit creepy. Named after a tractor. Yeah, it's a bit creepy. It's a creepy kind of line to invoke the word jailbait when talking about Mm -hmm. Britney, who is a teenager. And, you know, it's probably not far from the truth, in fairness, but uh, it's a bit gross. Britney is a pop icon, and we're going to see her keep growing as the years go on uh, for, for various different reasons, in various different sounds. And I mean, we're not far from a total sound change when she goes for like, I'm a slave for you and all that kind of weird stuff. But let's enjoy Britney while she's relatively pure at the moment. It's still, while she's got the attitude and while she's got a, it's gone up a notch a little bit, she's still quite pure. Mm-hmm. It's still quite enjoyable on a pure base level. Uh, before it goes down strange paths. Would you be mad if I did the rest of this show in a Britney voice, like with a... Uh, at the start of every word? She goes, <laughs> I think I did. Yeah. I'd be really mad that you do that because I'm kind of mad that Britney sings like that. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's not going to work for me. It, it's kind of a trade-off. The music is so good. It's kind of fine to put up with the weird little affectations that she does, but hey-ho. I do, I do like Britney. I, I'm really, I'm really torn with that one because I can see textbook wise, 
and history wise why that should be a winner mm. but there's something inside me that that's not a winner for me and i feel like i need to it's a bit like do i play the game and do i make her my episode winner and stick with something that doesn't have a connection to me mm. or do i do i just be honest and go with the flow and do you know what i'm what i'm feeling and i feel like i'm a bit torn with that one so i don't know what way i'm gonna go with that one by the time we get to the end of the episode my flatmate i was telling him the the track listing for this week and he said y- you're gonna pick that and i was like Meh, we'll see mm-hmm. but i think it's again it's one of those that you expect because it's a big pop song i think that's what it is i think that's the problem i think we're expected to choose that one and i think that that one's gonna be the obvious contender and I can understand why it is for so, so many people. And, you know, it depends whether we're taking this podcast down the Right, let's be factual. Let's be rational. Let's remove us from it. But the point of this so far is, you know, we do put an element of our feeling and our belief into it a little bit. But, you know, I, I am torn about whether I do the feeling or whether I do the facts. Would you say that this song coming up next falls in the same category of people think we'll choose something like this because it's a pop podcast, so to speak? This one that we're about to do is so positive and so optimistic that I I have a whole view of what should be going on with the song right now. So um, I do think it's obvious, but I think when you listen to it, the reasons are obvious. So this, again, is a second album cycle beginning. It's a lead single from an album. I feel like we're, we're finally at a point now where lead singles are coming out. After months of doing tracks that are like the dregs of albums, we're finally getting into the really, really good stuff because now yeah. is a good time to release an album, basically. Uh, imagine a time when you've got S Club 7 and Britney going head-to-head in the UK for number one album. That's a, that's a, In terms of pop, you can't get a lot better than that, can you? Uh, it's happy, happy times. It well. It's certainly a lot different <laughs> now. I mean, that said, pop albums these days... Some of them are pretty good. Dua Lipa, very good. Rina Sawayama, we mentioned last week, it's exceptional. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. This is S Club 7. It is the lead single from the album 7. It's called Reach. Reach. My main problem with this track is that it gets played on nights out in Sunderland. My entire university life was soundtracked by these kind of songs. And you get students from different parts of the country, and they all sing it like this. They all go, reach up for the stars. Where's the up? Where's the up? It isn't reach up for the stars. It's reach for the stars. And I watched it yesterday. I was like, I'm going to make sure it doesn't have any... There's no inclination of reach up for the stars. And there isn't. So if you sing reach up for the stars and night out, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Wrong, wrong. I've got a theory as wrong. to why that would be the case, right? Because if you watch the dance routine, mm. it goes reach. And then where it would say up that beat is where the hand goes into the air. So if you've watched all of the live performances, it goes reach, boom. And that boom is where a hand would go up. So I think people are like... I, they're, they're saying what they were doing in their living rooms trying to learn the choreography and it's it, it's coming out on nights out which is a bit strange but I'm not having it I'm not having it nah needs to be needs to be sorted out fast really but this will have gone down an absolute storm at my fourth birthday party like it will have this is the kind of song that's designed for a fourth birthday party isn't it this one I think this is a song for everybody right so this one is so positive it's so optimistic it's fun 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 Paul's bridge is great in it, it you is, know, yeah. I think that this this is one for everybody if parents didn't like it they're liars if kids didn't <laughs> like it they're liars if teenagers didn't like it which I understand where they were trying to be like I'm a teenager I'm a bit too cool for S yeah, Club 7 yeah. I get that that's fine but you know this song is so popular yeah. and such a good pop song that I think that like S Club should be doing like a greatest hit Zoom right now while we're all stuck in the house <laughs> and then using that as a way to recruit numbers for doing mm. a big massive arena tour like it wasn't it wasn't popular enough to get number one it spent three weeks behind Sonique's It Feels So Good like for the entire three weeks that was the top two of the charts uh, but it was co-written by pop legend Kathy Dennis yeah. who we've spoken about before and we'll, again we'll continue to talk about forever because she has written so many of, uh, of this series' best tracks let's face it she really has and I think that Kathy is a skilled writer she knows what she's getting into and that makes me like the song even more just because she's such a she's such a good singer-songwriter but this track for me, I think, is completely under 
you know represented i understand why it got to two because you know it lost out to yes sneak feels so good and again we're talking we're talking sunshine times we're talking people are going on holidays you know foreign countries at this point are way more accessible than they ever were because mm. of low budget flights and stuff so people at this era were booking their holidays paying them off weekly and they were getting and buying dance music to get themselves pumped for going to like maga and to go to kavos and you know all of that kind of stuff so it it is interesting that dance music is starting to put up a fight with chart stuff but yeah i think this is totally underrated and if i'd have told 16 year old scott that he was going to end up going to an s club tour at some point he'd have been really confused but <laughs> like sitting looking back and reflecting on this this is great pop music really yeah it, it is good pop music it's very danceable i like that everyone gets a turn i think one of my big complaints with the first s clubs tracks we did was that like it was just kind of a lot of joe and not anybody else whereas this one really mm-hmm. is varied and spread out um it makes for a much more varied and vibrant vocal performance that plays to everyone's strengths which i think mm-hmm. is good um, and it feels like a big assault on the u.s audience because this one of course was the theme tune to the tv show miami seven which i loved yeah. i loved i loved i loved i think one of the funniest things in comedy history to me as a four-year-old whenever this came out was that bradley would call everyone a donut that was his like go-to <laughs> insult so as soon as i heard bradley say oh you donut that became the funniest thing to me ever mm-hmm. and i think for a good few weeks at school all i did was just say oh you donut and i was just like this kid get him signed up a comedy label he's brilliant um so thanks bradley thanks for that i still love that to this day um here's a question for you though which of the s club tracks so far has been your favorite i'm, I'm guessing you're gonna say this one uh, this is way better for me this is way way better for me you're my number one was a bit more bubblegum this one is a bit more you know positive mental health and yeah. i know that it could be seen as a cheesy track but i do feel like you could have given this song to anybody and it would still be a little bit cheesy, mm. but also really important. Whereas You're My Number One um, couldn't couldn't translate to anything other than cheesy. You couldn't make it credible, whereas this could be made credible by different people. You know, some, some legendary singer-songwriter could have covered this in a live lounge and it would still have had the original impact that was planned with the songwriting you know i just think generally it's 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 really good the thing is i can remember when reality tv started that this was one of the songs that everybody sang at an audition because it had such a big range um and it it, it kind of almost killed it at the time and maybe was to the detriment of s club seven's brand at that point but um yeah i still think it's just uh, just a, a lovely lovely pop song really and fun and you know we kind of need a track like this right now that's why i'm yeah. saying the zoom should exist yeah it definitely put a smile on my face at a time when i'm not always feeling too chipper and too smiley it did make me feel kind of happy so and, and, and in a kind of uncynical way as well so yeah for, they've got me there i can't i can't really argue to be honest so s club seven and reach it sounds to me like scott has certain feelings for it and certain chances that it could be a winner this week but we'll find out very soon let's go for an artist now who i did not know was a big hit maker at this point maybe nobody did maybe this catch you totally by surprise this is from sia back in the year 2000 this was a number 10 it was called taken for granted In the video, you see her face. <laughs> I know. That's my first note. It's like, oh my God, you can see Sia's face. This is before she went and, you know, totally cast away from the whole mainstream pop star image and made a point. She was she was totally shown off. I thought whenever we did the prep for this that I was going to not remember the song because I knew that Sia had songs out. Whenever I did research a few years ago, I was like, oh, see, it was about years and years and years ago. Didn't realize it was the year 2000. But um, so the story, the backstory to this is pretty much just a story about a female always waiting for a man mm. um, or he doesn't turn up. But it's actually pretty interesting. And the reason why I remember this is because it actually is lyrics put over the top of Prokofiev's Montague and Capulets, which is... What, what TV programs that off? Is it off, like, The Apprentice or something? Well, it's off The Apprentice, but it's also the music that Sunderland walk out to in the football. Yeah. So I, I've known it for a lot of years as the, 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 the big, bombastic Sunderland walkout anthem. Yeah. But yeah, it's also known for The Apprentice, and it is just a proper, moody, 
angry, bombastic bit of bit of classical music, isn't it? It really is. And again, you know that that music's so prominent in it that I don't feel like it's transformative, and I don't feel like I don't really feel like she's a contender. No, it was a debut single. It got to number ten. Um, it was her only UK top ten until Chandelier in 2014. Mm. She tried releasing for five years in the UK after this. She then, after that, in the UK, she then tried five years in Australia, and it wasn't really till Elastic Heart in 2013 for the Hunger Games that she then she got her got her attention. Good on her for not giving up and going for it. I think that's really really great. But I don't feel like I feel I, I kind of wish there was going to be more Sia tracks in our decade mm. but this is the only one we're ever going to discuss and I don't I'd rather talk about something else yeah unfortunately for me I think the sample is the most interesting part I think there's a constant battle between the sample and her voice to try and like compete with each other yeah just for just for prominence but the the sample is so overbearing and it's just hard to really find her within it I don't feel like we're getting the most out of her that we can no. her voice hasn't changed at all but I think what has changed over the years is that she's adapted to the musical trends the musical zeitgeist yeah absolutely this very much fits in with the the 2000s vibes i got i got like khalees a bit of quote out there was in amongst this and mm-hmm. and like the, the pink track that we're going to get to in a few weeks that's what i was going to say it's pink to me it's the pink track i felt those kind of r&b vibes and then when you think about when sia comes back again like in the present day when she comes back with her like the big hits that made her a international superstar that she is now mm-hmm. she just rides the trends she just she doesn't change but the landscape around her does yeah. and she just rides that wave mm-hmm. so fair play for like, like you say fair play for sticking it out but this for me wasn't something I enjoyed I don't really like her voice in it at all um, I didn't finish it <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't finish oh, it did you not no no, no. I did it I, I listened to the full thing but it was because I was intrigued and I wanted to see how much she was in it and I want to see if I'd missed something over the years but mm. nah I'm much more excited about this next track it feels like just a few weeks ago we had Dr. Dre on this show that's because we did uh, his first track Still DRE with Snoop Dogg was enormous we got a bit of slagged off for it for not giving it the kind of uh, appraisal that it needed we were both quite positive though in fairness I thought we were yeah that's great but this yeah. next one again is my next intro juice of the episode because it's mm. just full of Oh, just totally, you know, seducing strings and bass. I love it. Mm. If you're going to do a diss track, do it like this. This is Forgot About Dre from Dr. Dre and Eminem. Nowadays, everybody want to talk like they got something to say, but nothing comes out when they move their lips. Just a bunch of gibberish and motherfuckers act like they forgot about Dre. Nowadays, everybody want to talk like they got something to say, but nothing comes out when they move their lips. Just a bunch of gibberish and motherfuckers act like they forgot about Dre. So, so interestingly, Dr. Dre's first album, The Chronic, mm-hmm. was finally released on Spotify this week oh, wow. on 420 of all days. That sort of makes a bit of sense, doesn't <laughs> yes, it? that does make some sense, yeah. In this song and this video, Eminem sets fire to an old lady's house. I loved watching the music video for it, which is really <laughs> odd because usually... Do you know what was really nice about watching the music video about this? Is like I'm, I'm partial to a visual myself. I am a, I'm a beats and production person before I'm a vocal person, which is why I've always struggled with rap because um, I don't listen to lyrics first. Lyrics come second for me. And if they're frantic like they are in this song, I've always found it really difficult. Uh, but the video is just really gripping. And because... I've watched the video. I've experienced the explicit version, and you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not big on swearing generally. Like I do swear, but if you don't need to swear, don't bother doing it. But I'm so used to hearing the radio edits of this track that you know, I'm used to just making noise whenever I've sang along with it, making noise for Eminem in the chorus because I'm like, bada bada. So that's the noise that it makes. So everybody that I know went, bada bada. Yeah, forgot about Trey. And it's so nice to hear the actual real version because it's not the kind of thing that. You know, back in 2000, you didn't have access to the explicit version unless you had parents that were willing to go and buy you gangster rap. Yeah. You know, and where I came from, hip hop wasn't that big of a thing. And I do remember one woman that I worked with in a supermarket at a time came and asked me about her son because she was like, he likes Eminem and I'm really worried about him because it's really <laughs> weird and it's really dark. Is he okay? I don't think he's okay. And I didn't know what to say because I'd never listened to the explicit stuff. And it's like, well, you're buying him. You're buying him the albums. You know, are you are you happy with them to do it? But it was just it was just so normal. It was just very odd for where I lived to have mm. people having that kind of anger and wanting to hear back and forth. It was kind of like an alternative Coronation Street. You know, hip hop at that point was really <laughs> becoming like a real a real film. There was a story behind everything. Yeah. And everything had a story, and then that story had a story, and that story had a. So it was really like 
really, really interesting at the time, but I didn't get it and I didn't live in that world. And now I'm more inclined to go deeper because I've really, really enjoyed finding out this stuff. And I'm probably going to probably going to watch Straight Outta Compton as well. I was going to say definitely should because this feels relevant because Mm -hmm. this track is kind of a big, it's a diss track. It's one of the quintessential diss tracks. If you're going to do one... I think having Eminem in your corner is some is some way to do it as well. Yeah. Um, so this is him kind of cementing himself after a good few years of being in the background of the hip hop scene, being the, a key figure of the production side of things, not making music as much as he had been. Mm-hmm. This is him taking shots at his critics. This is him saying, "Look, I've been I've been away for a bit, but you still can't fuck with me." Um, especially with Suge Knight and his little cronies. Um, and it's worth watching straight out of Compton if you want to know more about that beef because it was enormous. Oh, I've already um, been doing my research as well because like, I'm now really aware and I now understand where he's all like, you're pretty much here because of me. The scene yeah. doesn't exist without me. It now makes sense to me what that is. And I haven't even seen the film, you know, between this song and doing my research and just trying to find out more. You know, I, I did become captivated and I kept looking mm, and I kept looking. Mm. And I really think that this deserved to be higher than number seven in the chart. But obviously yeah, that's yeah. his position. That position at the time was practically a number one yeah. because of the nature of the song. Yeah. But for me, it needed to be higher. It was so, so good. It may not have charted as high as you thought, but it did win a Grammy for Best Rap Performance by a duo or group in 2001, wow. which is a pretty big accolade considering considering the the caliber of 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 rap music around this time i found the production to be more straightforward than still dre you know hasn't got that um iconic piano hook that still dre had the production is great a bit more stripped back but that just puts more emphasis on the the vocalization which is yeah laser laser focused and sharp Mm -hmm. like eminem's flow we haven't had eminem in this series yet this is our first appearance with him his flow in this is rapid fire and he's he's, yeah. he's actually he's packing it with good content like these days Eminem I don't know what happened but it's just not it's not happening Eminem back in these sort of times was so mm-hmm. sharp so slick so fast um, but it was all good stuff um, and to have the two of them together going all guns blazing at a particular target it's just it, it's just an assault it's just an actual assault it really is it's quite interesting in many respects because you know I think it's a bit like Dr. Dre's going, F yous, you're all here because of me, but actually look what I've got attached to me. And it was yeah. a showcase and it was to show off Eminem. And it's yeah, been like, yeah, too yeah. Much. you just can't achieve because listen to what he's doing in this chorus. It's all about Eminem today, boys. This is the mm-hmm. crack. And um, like everything, all the production and everything about it. And even Dr. Dre's bits, everything just points at Eminem and it was just a walking platform for him and yeah Forgot About Dre big song okay then this is something we haven't done yet in this series we're doing some metal yeah this was in the top 10 it's from Iron Maiden it is called The Wicker Man I think this is immense. I absolutely love it. Right. Now, my my question, because I had this thought myself, is do you like it because it's different or do you like it because it's good? Because I I, I found myself thinking, I've heard other metal and I like it more than this. But it's, it's cool that it's here, but I don't love it as much as I feel like other people do. I love the nostalgia that it brings me which is really odd because you know all of the memories that this throws me to not for the specific song because I was actually new to this song whenever I heard it I don't remember it being number 9 in the charts but all of my memories for this are probably from maybe 1996 97 98 Um, but this is really really interesting for me because I just I just really like it and I think that maybe this is for a for the first single from a 12th studio album which is what this is i think it's um it's an inviting track and i think what it does is you know 12 albums in it's still a track inviting people in and find some of the darker stuff and find yeah you know you're finding the lighter side of metal but i want to experience this live like that's how much i love this and it makes me want to learn the drums it's just got (laughs) like a big awesome riff but I'm I'm a bit gutted that I missed it at the time. To be fair, my life could have been very different had I understood and found this. Yeah, I could have like long, long hair. Ge- genetics doesn't really take into account what music you like. I'm sorry. 
No, unfortunately. No. Um, so the track is inspired by the 1973 film of the same name. It's a true classic. This was the first single of the return of the vocalist Bruce Dickinson and guitarist Adrian Smith, who both left the band 10 years prior. And this was Grammy nominated as well. Best Metal Performance 2001. I just, I wish I liked it more. I think it's nice that it invokes some nostalgia mm-hmm. and I can see why that would be a good thing but I do feel like that's only because it's the first thing that's come up like yeah. if there'd been another Iron Maiden song earlier that was better and I think there are better ones than this one um, I don't find it very adventurous I think I've heard metal songs that do more and are more ambitious than this I found it I found it very plodding I didn't find it as exciting instrumentationally if that's a word I just didn't find the instrumentation as exciting I thought it was kind of a it's a good return track but as an actual thing that stands alone by itself, I was kind of bored. I still think that that's because it's trying to be a pop metal track and it is It is a crossover track. It isn't an Iron Maiden traditional track. It isn't a heavy metal track. It is a, it's an inviting, mm. it, it's like, it's the worm sticking its head out of the hole first. That's what it is to, to bring you down. But I do think you shouldn't be bored by metal. You should never be bored by something so heavy oh. and something so thrashy. I just found it a bit plodding, personally. Yeah. I do know, I do know uh, that I, was, when I was younger, there was scarier stuff out there, and that's maybe why yeah. I liked it. But metal, metal did just to like freak me out. But one of my best friends growing up, um's older brother was big into like Judge Dredd and metal and had amps and guitars and stuff in his room. And his mm. room just looked scary. And it was all, you know, like skulls and things. But he had dreadlocks and I can remember I used to sit in his bedroom and we would be taking it in turns to twist his dreadlocks and we'd be putting <laughs> beeswax and stuff on them listening to metal so that's why this kind of thing's throw me back to to those memories so I don't know whether my mind's just warped because I really I'm, I'm, I'm torn with the memories and I'm in the wrong era but for me the thing is though right I don't remember it from the time it was number nine it, I don't live in that world, even though I've got like dipping memories, like doing dreadlocks and stuff to stuff <laughs> like this. But can it win if I don't know it and don't remember it from the time? Can it be classed as the best pop song? I think so. I think purely if the song is good, the song's good. You can't help the fact you didn't remember yeah. it. Well, I've loved. Re- so before before I started doing my prep for this, I loved seeing that this was coming. Yeah, and and I was I loved seeing that Sia was coming, and you know. This one, I'm glad that I've done the whole discovery thing. It's a bit like um, what was what was the episode two or three one um, that we we loved um, um, Aisha um, Death in yes. Vegas. I yeah, loved yeah, that yeah. one, and I, I love discovering that. And with this one, I feel the same. I love discovering this track. Another really tough week. Eight big big tracks. Some that I didn't even know about at all. Some that I will never ever get out of my brain, even beyond my death. This is a really difficult week in the sense that, like, nobody's really pulling away, isn't it? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is odd, because you think in a week of S Club 7, Britney Spears and us doing a pop music podcast, Mm. that they would be two obvious contenders for the top spot. I will say, just to break the illusion for the listener, that we recorded all of that on Tuesday we're recording this on Thursday we have had a couple of days to think about it we never normally have a couple of days but just the way things have worked out we've had to do it this way and it has kept me awake at night I have literally been awake at night humming these songs thinking I've got to make the right call here it's been so hard has it been hard for you as well it's been really difficult for me and I can vouch for you because I've been waking up at 6.30 in the morning going on messenger <laughs> to reply to messages you've sent me and it's saying that you've been active two hours ago which means you've been yeah. up at four in the morning yeah. and I know that FIFA can't just be responsible for that it's going to be this podcast but it is. I've, re- I've really struggled just simply for the fact that I don't even feel like I can get my pot right and I feel like this is the most likely week for me to make a mistake and it worries me let's delve into the pot what have you got right okay so I'm really keen to showcase Dr. Dre and Eminem forgot about Dre because I think it's massive it has the potential to completely just turn me into like a hip hop head Um, I love S Club 7 Reach Britney Spears I'm not putting in the pot because even though the way we've discussed it when I've reflected on it I thought I don't need to. It is a major it's a major pop song. It's for so many people. I'm scrapping the fact that textbook wise it should probably win. I'm going with my own personal views, but Toxic's on the way and I think Toxic's better. Mm. Sex Bomb mm. is such a big track for me. Southside Spinners Love Struck. Madison Avenue Don't Call Me Baby. Uh, it's it's pretty full. It's pretty pretty full, but you just want the winner I'd love to hear your winner for this week out of that crowded little pile and I think you helped me 
sort it out a little bit because in my head this shouldn't be an obvious winner but actually it does so much great stuff and it's so credible it's so cool it's transformational mm-hmm. my episode winner is Madison Avenue Don't Call Me Baby Ooh, interesting 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 it is such a cool track before we get into what I'm going to say it is such a cool track I was kind of just getting about my day to day just getting ready doing bits and bobs in my room and I, I just went I went to Spotify I put some music on and I put this track on almost subconsciously and then realised halfway through oh, that's got to be a sign that's got to be a sign you've put that on um, so we'll it, it see it is really good and, and I think whenever you look at the whenever you see them on a list written down you don't realise how good it is mm. until you start listening to mm. it and that's exactly why it's good and I've got positive attachments and stuff to it I'm trying to not let the old school nature and experience of it you know curve that for me i am doing it based on it is a breakthrough track it brings pop into dance music it's everything it was a number one funk mainstream big samples the mm. lot it ticks so many boxes for me i think it deserves my position this week dr dre second though oh, that's really interesting i think there'll be a lot more hip-hop mm-hmm. coming over the next 10 years and it'll be interesting to see how you develop as a person as a result yes i know why uh-huh. what about you is your pot as uh, diverse as mine and wide or have you got a small one today my pot is fairly small today um i'm, I'm limited to three I'm limiting it to three, literally Mm three. I'm saying Britney, oops, I did it again, which (laughs) when we did this on Tuesday, I actually chose my series winner, but I'm not choosing it today. It's only going to be in the pot. I'm not sure what I was thinking on Tuesday. I've heard it a few times since and I've been like, ah, I just don't know. Something about it is not perfect. It's an imperfect track, but it is very, very iconic. I'm not choosing it as my winner, but it's in the pot, Uh, which leaves Tom Jones and Moose T sex bomb. Wow. Which I did uh-huh. joke about in the first week, uh-huh. but it very it, it, I've I've heard it a few times again since, and it actually uh-huh. is surprisingly credible. So I can't <laughs> knock it. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, I'm obviously also going to put in Madison Avenue. Don't call me baby. Ooh, wow! Mm-hmm. I never thought I'd see the day that I actually feel like you're going for Tom Jones here. <laughs> mm. I think it's the isolation. It's playing with my mind. It's it's doing strange things to us. Lucky Tom. My and my flatmate's called Tom. I'm sure you'll enjoy that. My episode <laughs> winner is going to be. Mm, sorry Tom Madison Avenue <gasps> don't call me baby hey, when was the last time we had the same ones was I don't know uh, week yeah possibly the first week Artful yeah, Dodger did we both yeah, I, think, I think so yeah yeah we wow. did yeah, yeah. okay Madison Avenue don't call me baby so this is pretty strange now because we have to choose a series winner mm. and if we both choose Madison Avenue as a series winner that just causes the biggest ruckus, I think, that we've experienced to date. Yeah, I, I, I didn't think we'd reconnect this quickly. I thought we'd go down different paths for quite a while than reconnect in like 2002 or whatever, but uh-huh. it's possible in week nine that we could be back together again. Um, you, you, I want you to go first. I'm, I'm curious. Let me have a drone, please. Drone, drone, drone. Okay, I think I'm going to really surprise everybody here and cause a lot of controversy because you just didn't think I was going to do this. But I'm simply talking about the fact that I'm choosing very quickly this week. It's going to be Destiny's Child. Oh, Say my name. you wrote me in there. Ah, I thought I really got you, thought, got you, got oh, you. you got us there. Um, <laughs> I think that is probably the right call as far as your little Scott fans are called. Well, when, you, when you give the fans, like, you know, like Team Scott and Team Lee, we need like different like fan base names. Something have like okay. fights on Twitter and stuff. Um, so the Scottettes will be happy with that choice. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the little Liams uh, are going to be. Ooh. All right, okay. I'm, I th- I've, got, I've, got, I've got it. I've got it. Right, let's do this. Okay, let's hit you with your drone. Ooh, right, okay. I. It's really, really hard. I think both tracks are really lyrically rich. And I'm kind of the same as you. You said it earlier on that you kind of listen to production first and lyrics are kind of like an afterthought. Like for you, it's all about beats and production and how it sounds like sonically. But these tracks are both so eye-catching in terms of their lyrics and and their content and their subject matter. And like I said, the Madison Avenue uh, insult of I'll make you sorry you were born. Like that's just like, ah, it's like a red hot poker in the arse. Um, I think the fact that I find Madison Avenue lyrically rich and really, really rich in production, despite the fact it's a sample. Actually, to be fair, it does a lot of good stuff with the sample, so I'm Mm -hmm. going with... uh, I'm going with Madison Avenue. Are you really? I am, yeah. You don't sound sure. (laughs) No, I'm... No, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. I think think just as a pure listening experience... Madison Avenue is the vibe I feel right now. I just want that kind of vibe of just that constant funk 
moving along. Where's Craig? I've got to be in that chill zone, and I'm not in that chill zone right now. So I think Madison Avenue is going to be the one for me this week. Craig David is gone. Madison Avenue, don't call me baby, takes the title of Liam's current series winner. Yeah, big change. That's pretty unexpected for me. I mm. think there might be. I think there might be hoo ha about this. Like, do you think so? Potentially, yeah. I think this mm. might have been. Is this your most controversial moment? I Beyond don't blink one eight two. It could be. It could be your. It could be. It could be. <laughs> you, mm. you don't help us at all you know like there's been a few times this series know, you've, you've gone like oh you've made a bad call there you've made a bad call there <laughs> it's like alright I'm, I'm already getting no sleep thanks for making us feel even worse um, <laughs> thank you very much again as always Scott McQuarty we will have more next week now coming up this Monday just because we had a few tracks we didn't fit in and we're very conscious that we don't want these to be on, like over an hour like people go for their like government sponsored exercise walk for an hour and uh, it'd be good if you could hear the whole thing and not have to like pause it and leave more and then forget about it so we're going to do a little extra bonus episode on Monday with, a f- I think, four tracks we didn't squeeze in this week, uh, including tracks from Top Loader. We've got one from York, and we've got a double header from Stephen Gately. Plus, we'll just have a little bit of a, like, a little bit of a chit chat, a bit more relaxed, a bit less formal, uh, yeah. and we'll see how it yeah. feels. We'll see how it goes. If you like it, we'll keep doing it. If you're not so sure, then we'll see. But um, yeah, Monday, check it out, subscribe, and you'll be it'll be in your inbox when uh, you wake up on Monday morning. So that sounds good, doesn't it? I love it, uh, Scott. Pleasure as always. We'll see you on Monday which is a bit strange Uh, have a good weekend you too love you all thank you very much for joining us 